have your Bible this morning, open it up to the book of Genesis, to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, as we've already recognized today is Mother's Day, but as I thought about this day for us, I wanted us to speak more than really just about mothers or motherhood. As I thought about it, I wanted us to talk about equality of women. And as we go back to God's Word, if you want to find out about motherhood, if you want to find out even about womanhood, if you want to find out about the equality of women, the place you need to start, the place where you need to really stay, is the Word of God. And you need to go back to the beginning. You need to go back to the book of Genesis. Genesis, the word itself, it means beginnings. Because it is in the book of Genesis that you have the beginning of womanhood. You have the beginning of motherhood. And what I want us to see this morning is we're going to open up God's word and just look as an overview in Genesis 1 and the chapter 2 and 3 is that equality of women comes from God. Thus God has so designed it in a way that men and women would be equal yet different. And we see that as we walk through uh, these opening chapters. And as far as the differences that are there between men and women, again, those have been established by God himself. First and foremost, they were established in the very order of the creation. If you read through the story and you go into the the beginning of man, the mankind, the beginning of woman, you see there in Genesis chapter 2 that it was the man that was created first and then the woman was created. Not only that, when you look at these, the difference in, between men and women, you see a difference even in the occupations that the Lord God, their sovereign creator, established for them at their creation. And as we think about those differences in the occupations, we think about those differences in the order, those help us to see and to recognize that there are going to be different roles between men and women, yet they're equal. There are going to be different responsibilities between men and women, yet they are equal. And those differences will show themselves in the life of a family. They will show themselves in the life of a church. If you recall over in 1 Timothy chapter 2, when Paul says there that women are not to teach and to exercise authority over men in the church, he does so based on this very principle of the order in which God created man and woman, saying, was it not man that was created first? And it flows right out of that chapter in chapter 2 after he has said that, that women are not in the church to exercise authority or to, to teach or to preach over men in the church. He flows right out of that into chapter 3 that we're very familiar with where he says, but if a man desires to be a pastor, an elder, a leader in the church, that is a fine office that he desires to do. And God establishing that there were going to be differences, though equality, in the body of Christ. Differences, though equality, in the family life. But for this morning, I want us to focus on the equality of women. 
And I want us to start with God's creation of the woman. And God's creating of the woman. And I want us to look in chapter 1 and to see that in how God created the woman, He established that she would be equal with the man. You look there in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 with me, where it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. Notice there, God is saying that in his creation of the woman, though he did use the bone there, the rib from the man to create the woman that we see there in chapter 2. It also is telling us up front that women are equal with men in that they were both created in the image of God. They were created in the image of God. And notice there again in verse 28, and God blessed them. He blessed them both as being made in His image. Not only that, beloved, when you look down at verse 31, and it says, after God has finished all of his work of creativity and creation, the six days have come and gone. And now it's the seventh day where he's resting. God saw all that he had made. And that includes the woman that he made there on the sixth day. And when he looked at the woman that he had made, he says it was very good. Which means just as man was made and was good, the woman was made and she was good. So she was not only made in the image of God, she was made innocent before God. She was good without sin, just as the man. There was nothing inferior about her in her creation and how God created her. And beloved, how important that is to remember. Even as we think about the woman being made in the image of God, that means that, that, that women are to be treated the same under the law because when you go over to Genesis chapter 9 after the flood and Noah and his family get off of the ark and God really reestablishes uh, the, 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 the creation uh, mandate that he gave there, he told them to go out now, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. But he also then changed their diet and said now they could eat animals. But he also said there that if someone sheds the blood of someone else, that their blood was to be shed. Why? Because they were made in the image of God. Even as we talk to others and as we talk to and talk about women, there should be equality because she is made in the image of God. James 3 and verses 9 and 10. It is there where James talks about using our tongue, that the tongue that we use to speak to someone and talk about someone, he's saying there we shouldn't use that same tongue to curse someone. Why? Because he says that person is made in the likeness of God. 
You see? So the way that we talk to the women in our life, whether it is a, a sister, whether it is a mother, whether it is a grandmother, whether it is a wife, whether it is a daughter, whether it is a friend, whether it is a church member, whether it is an enemy, whether it is whoever it may be, you understand when you're talking to this person and when you're treating this woman in this way, this is someone who is precious because they are made in the image of God. So we see it in God's creation of the woman, her equality. But secondly, we see it in God's compassion for the woman. We see his equality that he has so designed for the woman in the compassion that he shows her. And this compassion is on display, beloved, if you look now with me for a moment over into chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, we see this compassion is on display in two ways. One, he shows equality between the man and the woman by showing compassion for her just as he did the man in that he spared her life. She deserved to die. The Lord God had said that if you eat from this tree, you shall surely die. She desired, she deserved to die right there on the spot at that moment when she took from that tree and she ate that fruit. She deserved to die just as the man did when he took the fruit from his wife and he ate. She deserved to die, but God showed compassion for her in that he spared her life. Because again, she was just as knowledgeable about this command as the man was. If you go back to the opening verses of Genesis chapter 3, when the serpent, who is the Satan that is there, approaches her, he says, indeed, in verse 1, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. She knew that she was not supposed to do this. And she willfully violated the law of God. Hear this, remember now, she was good. When we come out of Genesis chapter 1, she is good. That is, she is without sin. The woman was not created a sinner. She was not a sinner at all. She did not have a sin nature in that sense. But she was also not perfect. She was not glorified. And so she had an ability to sin or an ability not to sin. And tragically, she chose to sin against God and to violate his law. And God had compassion for her in that he spared her life. But not only did he just spare her life, he also demonstrated compassion for her and equality between her and the man in that he came and spoke to her about her sin just as he did the man. Look in Genesis chapter 3. When the Lord comes on the scene there in verse 8, the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God, the Lord God, among the trees of the garden. 
And we see in verse 9 that God first comes to the man, which makes sense. Who was it he created first? He created the man first. He approaches the man first. But he also approached the woman. There in verse 13, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? There again, God is showing compassion for this woman. He is showing compassion for her by actually coming and speaking to her, by not killing her on the spot, but yet by sparing her life and then approaching her about her sin. God's not asking that question to find out the information. God knows what has happened. He knows what she did. He heard it. He saw it. He observed the whole situation. Actually, he knew about it before he ever created her. He knew this was going to happen. He's coming to her and asking that question out of compassion for her, wanting her to confess her sin. God is reaching out to her in his compassion when he says, what is this you have done? He's wanting her to own up to it. You see, God is holding her accountable for her sin. He is holding her accountable, but he is showing compassion for her in reaching out to her. So God and his creation of this woman, God and his compassion for her is demonstrating his views of equality between the man and the woman. But beloved, let me share one other area where God demonstrated equality between the man and the woman and that is in God's consequences for the woman. The consequences for her sin. We've already seen them on display. In one way, we see the consequences of her sin were the same as the man because as we read there in verse 8 a moment ago, it's the man and his wife both are trying to hide themselves from the presence of the Lord. That is, she experienced the same consequences as the man. That is, she now is experiencing shame. Something she did not experience before this. Because if you go back and look in Genesis chapter 2, in the very last verse, in verse 25, it says the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, they both have eaten from the tree which God told them not to eat. Their eyes have been opened and now they feel shame. There is shame in their life, not just in the man for what he did, but for the woman for what she did. There is shame. There is a separation that has now happened for the woman as it did for the man between her relationship with God. Here is God coming on the scene as he often had done to have fellowship with them, and she's running. She's trying to get away from him because of the shame, because of the separation that has happened in their relationship, her relationship with God. And also, beloved, you see that she has experienced the same consequences as the man and the equality in that now she is a sinner. She is a sinner now by nature. And she demonstrates that throughout these verses here in Genesis 3, 1, in her first attempt to cover up her shame. 
She, just like the man, decided that she would try to cover herself. She would try to cover her sin with her own actions and her own ways. But notice, nothing she did could actually take away the shame. Nothing she did could actually reconcile her back to God. And that is the way it is with all, for men and women alike. Not only that, she demonstrated now she is a sinner by nature because when we read there again in verse 13, when God asked her the question, what is this you have done? She doesn't own up to it, but it says this, the serpent deceived me and I ate. You see the same consequences for their sins. But also, let me just remind you of this. When you think back to when God created the man and God created the woman, you go back into Genesis chapter 2. When God created the man, he told him to go and to work the garden. Go work this garden that God had created for him and had planted him and placed him there in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. And it says, And God, the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. And if you were to go over and look in Genesis chapter 3, you would see that one of the primary consequences of the man's sin was now his job to go and cultivate the field was going to be very, very difficult because God cursed the ground. And now it was going to be growing something like thorns and thistles. It was going to be very difficult. There was a direct consequence in regards to the primary responsibility that God had given him when he created him. Go, work, till the ground, cultivate the ground, and it will produce for you. And what I want you to see is that that is what happened for the woman as well. That when God created her, though it's not exclusive, but her primary role and responsibility was going to be dealing with the relationship with her husband and the relationship with her children. Because God said, be fruitful and multiply. And when God created the woman, and you go back to chapter 2, you notice it is, he says in verse 18, that it was not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So God's creating the woman so the man and the woman can have this companionship, this, this unity, this oneness. And as he goes on to describe, here's how God had originally designed it. God had originally designed this world where the man and the woman were going to have children. And, and as, as they had children, as families grew, and as the world was being filled, the man was going to leave his father and his mother and going to be joined to his wife. And they were going to become one flesh. And these were all, remember, supposed to be all believers under the lordship of God, living under the law of God, the truth of God, submission to God, dependent on God. That's the way God designed this to happen. And yet when sin entered into the world, it complicated life. It complicated even Marriage, it complicated the relationship between the husband and the wife. And what I want you to see is this. The two primary areas 
that God highlights as far as the consequences of sin goes to those two relationships. The relationship between the, the woman and the man in their marriage and the relationship between that woman as a mother with her children. Look there in Genesis 3. When he's now speaking to the woman in verse 16. And he's saying, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. And in pain you will bring forth children. Brother, that is talking about a whole lot more than labor pains. In fact, there's two different words for pain that are used there in the original language. And one of those words is, is speaking about a sorrow. It's speaking about a grief. And so, because what, just think about this. Just think about this. Because of her sin, the children she was going to bear are now going to be born into this world as sinners. Sinners by nature. That has just complicated that relationship. That has just introduced something there that the consequences that are there that is going to bring pain to her heart. It's going to make, there's going to be now people, the mother's a sinner, the children are sinners. There's going to be sin going on that's going to be there. And not only that, beloved, I'm sure some of you even here this morning could testify to this. What is it that brings your heart as a mother, even as a father, what is it that brings your heart the greatest joy? Is it not that your children know the Lord? And that they're walking with the Lord and they're living in the truth and they're walking by the truth and yet now we see our children being born into this world and as they grow and as they get older and they have this accountability to God, we know they have to be born again. They have to be saved. We know that and our hearts can be grieving about that because we can have a, a, a son or a daughter or a grandson or a granddaughter who doesn't know the Lord and what sorrow, what pain, what grief that brings to our heart. That is a part of the consequence here that now mothers throughout the ages since the beginning now have to experience and go through. But notice it wasn't just with her children. It was with her husband. Verse 16 again, look at the last part of it. Yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. When God created the man and the woman, here it was. They were supposed to come together as one, as husband and wife, and come together in one flesh under the lordship of God, both moving in the same direction, both as, as, as believers, because that's all it was when God created was believers, moving in the same direction under the lordship of God in this fellowship. Here it is. They had this perfect uh, Innocent, good union and marriage together. There was no shame, no sin, no problems. Everything was wonderful. Everything was great. And now what do we see? As soon as they sin, sin has entered into their life and it has now caused a problem between them. 
They not only have a problem with God, they now have a problem with each other because when God approached the man, the man said, look at her. I'm blaming her. You gave me her. She is the one who brought this to me. And now this relationship that would be so wonderful is now going to struggle between men wanting to rule and dominate sinfully in some ways over their wife or over women and women wanting to rule and dominate sinfully over men and over their husbands. This is the consequence of the sin of the woman. And it is equal in this sense in that this was the primary role that God had given her and responsibility God had given her when he created her, just as he did with the man. But I don't want to leave you there. I want you to see there is equality in the eyes of God for women when you look now and you see God's converting, God's converting of the woman to salvation. Look again, if you will. God made a promise in verse 15. He made a promise that between the enmity, there would be enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, and you shall bruise him on the head, and he shall bruise you on the heel. And it is this promise that the woman believes. And what I want you to see is, is whether it's the man or the woman, that there's equality in salvation in that God came bringing salvation not just to the man, but he brought salvation and conversion to the woman as well. And he did it the same way and he's been doing it the same way since this moment that we read here in Genesis 3 and Genesis 4. If a person's going to be saved, they're going to be saved the same way that Adam and Eve were saved. That is by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. That's the only way a person is ever saved. And that's what we see here with the woman. She was saved by grace because we see there in verse 21 of chapter 3, it is the Lord God who made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and God clothed them. That's something they could not provide for themselves. They had tried and they couldn't do it. God moves in and by grace, God saves them in that he provides everything that they need to be forgiven of their sins and clothed before a holy and righteous God. But again, you're not just saved by grace. You're saved by grace through faith. You say, well, where is the faith of Eve? You move down into chapter 4 and verse 1, and you see the man had relations with his wife Eve. She conceived and gave birth to Cain. And here's what she says. Here's her confession. I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. She is confessing there, not just that God was sovereign over the conception, but in those words, she is confessing her belief in the promise that God made back in Genesis chapter 3, when he said there that there was going to be a seed that was going to come from her. 
They're looking for this promised seed. And she's hoping, she's thinking, just maybe, just maybe, the one that she's now giving birth to is that one. She knows this. She's believing this. So again, what we see, she was saved by grace through the covering, by faith in her confession that is there, and I say through faith in Christ alone. Now, not that she knew about Christ, and not that she knew about any person that would be named Jesus. But as I said, what she's confessing there and what she's trusting in is in the promised one to come that God gave there in Genesis 3.15. Thus, she was saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in that promised seed who is Christ and Christ alone. That's how she was converted. That's how she was saved. And beloved, that is how you are saved. God, in his love for the woman, saved her, converted her. Love, and you go back I want to remind you of something that just as for the woman that we've been talking about here, she was created by God and she was created for God. That is, we all have been created by Him, through Him, and for Him. Our lives are to be about Him to be about His glory, about His honor, lived for Him. And here's what we can say. God, if you, for every single one of you here today, not just the women, but the men, boys and girls, here's what I want you to take from this. One, God created you. And he created you in his image. Now, because you are a sinner, that image has been damaged. That image has been marred. But there's an answer for that. And the answer is given to us in the word of God. That when a person gets saved, it says there is a renewing of the image of God in that person. And there's a renewal that keeps happening where God is conforming that person into who? The image of Christ. So God created you to reflect Him. To glorify Him. But the problem now is, because of what we've read here and looked at, we're all now sinners. So the image of God has been damaged and it needs to be renewed, but the only way it will be renewed is by you being saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Not only that, God, as He did the woman and as He did the man back in the garden, God has also had compassion towards you. God has had compassion for you in the same way He did them. That is, first of all, you're all sitting here before me today, which means God thus far has spared your life. The wages of sin is death. 
All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Thus we all deserve to be dead. And yet we're all standing or sitting here today because God has had compassion towards us and He has spared our life. But secondly, God has had compassion toward all of us here this morning because He's not only spared your life to this point, but He also now, through the preaching of His Word, has now spoken directly to you. He has spoken to you through His Word. And now, just as the woman and the man were responsible and accountable for what they knew of God's Word, you are now responsible and accountable. God has had compassion towards all of us in sparing us and speaking to us this morning through His Word. But thirdly, you and I have the same consequences for our sin as well. Shame, separation from God, problems in our families, whether it's with our spouses, our children, I mean, we, because we're sinners by nature. And there's absolutely nothing we can do to change that on our own. We cannot reverse the curse. We can't do it. But the good news is, is that God can. And God will. And just as God has created you, and just as God has had compassion towards you, and just as God has issued upon you the same consequences for your sins, God also will convert you. He will save you. He will forgive you if you will put your faith in Him and Him alone. You're only going to be saved by the grace of God. And that's by you abandoning anything and everything and surrendering to Him, putting your faith in His Son. His Son is that promised seed. His Son is the Lord Jesus Christ. His Son is the one who left heaven and came to earth. And in the incarnation became a part of mankind so that He could come and live without sin, go to the cross without sin, to take sin upon Himself. God raised Him from the dead, declaring, I am pleased and satisfied with the life and the death of my Son. He has taken care of the sin debt for all those who will put their faith in Him. If you do not put your faith in Him and in Him alone, then you will spend eternity paying your debt to God. And that debt will never be paid off because it's eternal. But the eternal God came and took on flesh to die so that you don't have to do that. And you and I, we must be like the woman and just have a simple faith in that, belief in that, trust in that, living for that. This is what God has promised. This is what God has said. That's the answer. The image of God. That's the answer for, when you think about it, mankind, the man and the woman, started out as good. Now, 
we're all bad. Because the Bible now tells us that there is no one who is good. In Genesis 1 and 2, before the fall, God looked on the earth and said, every single person on the earth is good. There are only two. But he said, all of mankind is good. Now God looks on the earth and he says, there is no one is good. All of mankind is sinful. All of mankind is lost. All of mankind on their own is separated from me. But God in his goodness and his mercy and his grace says, I will reconcile myself to them. Man wants to run from me. We see that with the woman and the man in the garden. God comes on the scene and they go running as fast as they can to get away from God. But God pursued them. And God showed compassion for them. And then God covered them. And then God granted them this, this faith and they put their faith in God. And that's the way it must be for us as well. Then, beloved, you see, then you can be the man or you can be the woman that God created you to be. You cannot be the man or the woman God created you to be until you have put your faith in Christ and you've had the renewal of that image of God. And he's conforming you to the image of Christ until he's giving you the spirit of God that dwells inside of you. Beloved, we cannot truly live as a husband and as a wife with our spouses as we should unless we have been born again. That's the only way we can do it. The only way we can, the only way we can do that is, is by the husband and wife being born again and living under the Lordship of Christ. To be able to live that way. And the only way we can be the father or the mother that God desired and designed for us to be is if we are born again. So I ask you this morning, have you been born again? Have you put your faith in Christ? Do you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord? I would plead with you, I would beg with you this morning, put your faith in Him so that you can be what God created you to be. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer for a moment.